He was a hero to some, a villain to others, and wherever he rode, people spoke his name in whispers. He had no friends, this Jonah Hex, but he did have two companions. One was death itself, the other, the acrid smell of gut smoke. And welcome to the debut episode of the Jonah Hex jo- Via Pony Express podcast, your source for everything you need to know about our favorite bounty hunter, as well as news and reviews focusing on Western comics in general. I'm Susan Hillwig, author of an illustrated history of Jonah Hex, coming to you from the snowy fields of Michigan. Joining us from his top secret silo in Oklahoma is Dwayne Hendrickson of the Hex centric blog Matching Dragoons. Hello. Hello. And over in the state of Washington, and always in a state of creativity, we have our resident artist and budding filmmaker, Arya Bahari. Hey, everybody. Hi. And then we sail across the Pacific to New Zealand for Jaron Schroeder, curator of the website, The Jonah Hex Corral. Kia ora, everyone. Now, I'm sure you're all you listening are curious as to what exactly this is all about. I mean, Jonah Hex doesn't exactly have his own title at the moment, so why devote a podcast to him? Well, despite his current state of retirement, old Jonah still manages to turn up here and there every once in a while, and as we'll discuss during our news segment, so we'll all be sure to fill you on where you can find him. And, of course, there's the nearly five decades worth of stories he's appeared in over the course of his existence, and that's where the majority of our focus will lie. We'll have episodes themed around certain aspects of Jonah's life and career, while others will delve deep into key storylines, giving you insight into not only what's on the page, but also what occurred behind the scenes. Which means we'll also occasionally bring in some extra special guests to help us get to the bottom of things. Since this is our very first episode, however, we'll be starting with just the four of us, the core team of VPE, as we go through a quick timeline of Jonah's history for those listeners who may not be familiar with the character's early years. As we do so, we'll also be talking about the points in that timeline where each of us was introduced to Hex, as well as how we ended up banding together to bring you this spiffy new podcast. But before we begin our walk down memory lane, let's fill y'all in on the latest Hex appearances and other happenings in the world of Western comics. Since this is Jonah's podcast, we're going to start right now with some of the comics he's been in recently. For those of you that haven't heard or don't have a Walmart near you, Jonah's been at Walmart. You may have heard about the uh, special DC books that have been being put out at Walmart. They're, for the most part, reprints. There's a Superman 100-page giant. There's a Batman there's uh, Teen Titans, Justice League, and in the Justice League one, they've been doing brand new stories that feature Wonder Woman. And around issue five of uh, the Justice League giant, Jonah Hex suddenly showed up. Wonder Woman is on this uh, island, uncharted island, the middle of Bermuda Triangle. She's looking for Steve Trevor, as she does in like half of her stories. And she finds Jonah Hex was had been tied up by a bunch of cavemen. On this island. Oh, by the way, did I mention time doesn't really seem to work right on this island? And so he's been sticking around the last few issues. Issue 7 just came out a few weeks ago, and we still got Jonah Hex there fighting alongside Wonder Woman. I He was blasting dinosaurs through the eyeballs with bullets. It was wonderful. And later on this month, that story is actually moving over to a new Walmart 100-page giant, Wonder Woman number 1, which means it might be harder to get, but... Basically, if you live near a Walmart, check out check out your local Walmart over in the collectible section. You hopefully will be able to find these comics. Because unfortunately, they're only available at Walmart. You have to go to the Walmart to get these. And as some of our EPE members know, they don't live near Walmarts where you can get these. So it's going to be tough. For those of us who have looked at them, what do you uh, think so far? Kind of fun what I've seen so far of the issues and the weird time mix-up of the cast and everything is always good fun i really enjoyed the artwork and it's pretty nice and clean jonah does have his scar back as we've uh, been mentioned in the facebook group and, oh, yeah, he does, you mentioned yeah. and he does make reference to Tallulah. yeah whatever this is happening it's definitely happening after all-star western number 34 which was his last i don't want to say self-titled because all-star western is necessarily self-titled his last book his last dedicated book to jonah hex so but this is also written by jimmy palmiotti Mm-hmm. who, of course, wrote that stuff along with Justin Gray. So he somehow managed to sneak Jonah in. So he's continuing on. How this links up to where we left Jonah off, don't know. As uh, Dwayne said, Jonah's got a scar back. At the end of Alistair Western 34, he didn't have a scar. Thank you, 21st century plastic surgery. 
we will talk about this a little more in depth in a later episode because this is still ongoing. I don't know if it's wrapping up soon. Luckily for those who do not live where one near one of the WalMarts that carries them, or like our like our friend Darren here who lives in New Zealand, they are What's saying exactly yes. They supposedly are collecting these in a trade. I know no other information beyond that. Some I've just heard people say, oh, yeah, there's going to be a trade paperback. So we'll have to see about that. Also on the aspect of Walmart, over in the Batman giant that they also have at Walmart, suddenly Jonah has gained a new descendant. That was Batman giant number four. I believe she's first starred in. Her name is Ginny Hex. And she is now also uh, co-starring alongside uh, Superboy and Robin and Impulse in the new Young Justice uh, comic. Issue 2 just came out uh, a week or so ago. Yeah, that's uh, a far had... cry from the uh, Texas garage where she was working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't. We weren't too sure when we first saw her where she was. All she knows, she was living in some podunk, podunk town, which... I presume it was close enough to Batman to drive through because when he showed up in the in the uh, in that particular bit of story, he drove the Batmobile there. So I think they did make mention that it was in Texas. Yeah, I, I don't recall any Texas <clears throat> references until Young Justice number one. And that's when she said she drove it here to Metropolis, which is where Young Justice number one opened. Drove it there from Texas. This really beat up old old school like 1970s pickup truck, which now apparently as of issue two has been dropped into Gem World. So I don't know how this is going to work. <laughs> again when we get a little further into that we'll uh delve a little more into it because yeah we don't know much about her right now other than that she is related to jonah hex we're pretty sure it's great great granddaughter i've also heard four greats as opposed to two so we're not too sure how the relation comes in if this is through jason hex if this is through another kid we don't know about maybe we know jonah and chalutal had a few roles in the hay maybe they had a kid we don't know about yet Maybe this is going to tie into the Wonder Woman story. We don't know. When we get a little more info, we'll let you folks know. Yep. Speaking of uh, recent Western uh, comics, we are going to go over to the competition for a moment. For those who do read Marvel, you probably know they are coming up. They're not coming up. They are this year in their 80th anniversary year. So they've been releasing a lot of one shots and specials. And God bless Stanley. He cannot be here to see this. But um, one of the ones that just came out about a week or so ago was uh, Gunhawks which is an old Marvel title. Uh, sadly, aside from name, this does not appear to have anything else to do with the characters that used to appear in the, in the Gunhawks title. You know, it's none of those guys. You're not getting two-gun kid. You're not getting anybody like that. This appears to be a complete one-and-done story. Pretty good, though. So, yeah, if you're looking for some uh, newer Western stuff, if, you, if you've read all your other books to tatters, we do have something new here for you to look at. Little, little on the violent side, you're de this would definitely have not gone past the comics code back in the day. There are literal puddles of blood in here. And there's also a nice little two-page about Marvel Western history in the back. So go get your learn on. Oh, yeah. I, I had never uh, read Gunhawks when it came out and had to go to Wikipedia to look it up. It sounds like an interesting book. I mean, it just lasted a few issues, but uh, I may have to track those things down. Yeah, I don't... Um, Personally, I don't pick up much Marvel Western. I pick it up here and there if I can find it cheap. Actually, I was at one of the comic book shops I stop at in the area, and they just happen to have some really old 19s, uh, some 70s Marvel Western stuff for like a couple bucks an issue. I'm like, sure, why not? So I threw it a two-gun kid as a couple other things that I tossed on the side. I think I got a Charlton in there. I think I got a, a Billy the Kid Charlton. Haven't uh, have not dug into them yet. They're part of the huge pile of things that I'm constantly trying to get through. The pile that never goes away. Yeah, I had to look up the Gunhawk stuff, too, to see if this was related in actuality to the originals, and it does not appear to be. But I did. But as far as recent Marvel Westerns, I picked up the 1872 stuff during the Secret Wars a few years back, and that was, that was fun. That was great. And I picked up the Red Wolf series, which unfortunately did not last long. Red Wolf was also in the 1872 stuff. And then Red Wolf turned up in the Occupy Avengers book that only lasted nine issues, so I picked that up, too. And then I... And then he's kind of vanished. I haven't seen him since. That's a shame because it was kind of he was kind of good as a Native Native American from the 1870s and the usual time displacement sort of story. But still, it was interesting. It was nice to have a little fresh Western every month, even if it was 21st century Western. Uh, I think that's about all the news we have for you today. So we'll move on to our main topic of discussion after a word from our sponsor. After a hard day of collecting bounties and punching blacksmiths. Treat yourself to the sweet, warm wonderfulness of Mrs. Thornton's apple dumplings. Apples picked with care from her trees out back and baked with love 
reserved for family. Mrs. Thornton's apple dumplings will make you feel cozier than hiding in the back of a buckboard. Mrs. Thornton's apple dumplings, available everywhere in Paradise Corners. Get yourself some real soon. Debuting in All-Star and Western number 10, cover dated January, February 1974, Jonah Hex was John Albano and Tony DiZaniga's comic book inter- interpretation of the spaghetti Western movie genre. Until Hex came along, the majority of Western comics characters were clean-cut, smiling do-gooders personified by the likes of Roy Rogers and the Lone Ranger. With his scarred visage and Confederate uniform, Jonah stood out visually from his contemporaries, and his stories were rarely the sort where the good guys had rode happily off into the sunset. Readers responded positively right from the very first installment, and DC soon allowed Jonah's influence to take over the comic, starting with the change of title to Weird Western Tales with issue 12, then printing Jonah's name so large on each cover from issue 18 onward that it overshadowed the aforementioned title. Though Albano would leave his creation behind after Weird Western Tales number 21, it was obvious that Jonah Hex was already strong enough to survive on his own. In our little timeline of when we all popped in, Dwayne would be uh, first, because Dwayne jumped in with Weird Western Tales number 19, um, which is actually close to the end of Albano's run. He's a few issues away. A little ditty called uh, Demon on My Trail. Now, how about did you get this? Did you buy this straight off the rack at the time? Yeah, I I got this one off the spinner rack. I was 12 at the time, because this was cover dated September 73. Nabbed this one basically because it had the word weird on the title. I was buying all kinds of weird war tales that came out, I think, a few months ahead of this. Those two books ran parallel. And I was thinking, oh, great, this is a spooky Western. This is right up my alley. Really wasn't in the same vein as weird war tales. You know, weird war tales had ghosts and vampires and golems and, you know, demon Nazis and all kinds of stuff. This was kind of more of a low-key weirdness. You know, you had Jonah. You didn't know anything about him. You had the scar. Usually they had backup stories that were a little off-kilter sometimes. Uh, they also had... Um, well, we got the El Diablo as a backup in this one. Right, the El Diablo. Yeah. I could see his face. Couldn't find his name. You know, if it really wasn't that weird, at least it was a Western. And it was something really different. I grew up on John Wayne and Bonanza. So... This was a lot grittier. It was actually a lot better. I really hadn't gotten into spaghetti westerns at the time. So I didn't have, I knew it was kind of parallel in uh, Clint Eastwood a little bit, but I hadn't seen the films. And it being a western, yeah, I was hooked. The nice gritty artwork, the bounty hunter with no explanation for why he looks the way he does. He's got his own moral compass. Yeah, I was on board from then on. Yeah, there is a little bit of spookiness, weirdness in this. This is Albano kind of implied sometimes that there was something uh, supernatural about Hex, and this is actually kind of one of them where they do it with this uh, the in, the intro page where it's got it's got the credits and it's got the name Demon on My Trail and everything. Yeah, Albano quite often did. Jonah would kind of disappear or appear from time to time. You know, people would think he's someplace where he's not. Yeah. That could kind of be explained away by. You know, the, these outlaws, their fear. He, he was almost like a Western oh, yeah. Batman in that in that vein. You know, just yeah. saying the name Jonah Hex was enough to freak most people out. Yeah, and the, and the intro page here, they're using the term, you know, was this merciless, gun-swift, paid killer of killers, an immortal apparition, this man named Jonah Hex. And, yeah, that's the only real spooky part in this whole thing. But, yeah, just the but, fact that it's even tossed out there, it's like, maybe he's a ghost. We're not going to tell you. <laughs> Lots of the baddies and uh, people in the uh, town chips going. Oh, I've heard rumors, and he does this, he does that. I sort of that sort of legend that's growing up around him helps scare the scare his opponents, I guess. Yeah, you definitely want don't want to discourage it. <laughs> if you got people to scare the pants, you know, you scare the pants off people the second you hear their names. Like I'm, I'm not going to do anything to deter this. Heck no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But yeah, as an, as an intro issue, yeah, this would definitely be something that would bring you in. Mm-hmm. And they some of the earlier ones I was able to track down, 17, the one with the hanging woman, where, uh, you know. Oh, that's she, a good one. Yeah. You know, it ends up at the end. It's almost a an EC Comics type thing where she ends up going over the cliff and gets hung by her scarf. You know, wonderful poetic justice. Uh, they also had one early on with the guy that ran the toll booth. And people ending up in quicksand. And uh, or there was also, a, a, I think, a lime pit or something. So 
you know, beautiful renditions of skeletons rotting, being eaten up by acid. And yeah, it, it kind of earned the name weird more, I think, from the artwork than anything else. Yeah. yeah. And the twist in the tale where the uh, escaped prisoner poisons a few wells, but then ends up backtracking and accidentally drinking from his own poison well. Yeah, for the for this one, yeah, yeah, just like just kind of laughing himself to death almost at the end. It's like mm. I screwed up. <laughs> exactly. Uh, something I actually another thing I, I uh, tend to look into uh, as far as comics history goes is the Comics Code Authority and stuff like that. And I was just reading some stuff about a month or so ago, right before Jonah Hex debuted. They loosened the rules. Um, 19, 1971 is when that one that three part Spider Man drug story came out. And, you know, it's like the government basically come to Stan Lee and said, you reach the kids, you know, the kids, we need you to write this, you know, to talk about the dangers of drugs. So he goes to write it and the code's like, you can't write about drugs, but we're saying drugs are bad. Doesn't matter. You can't write about drugs. It just so happened around that time they were already thinking about loosening the rules. And then this bit with Stan Lee and the Spider-Man story going out with no code on it happened. They went, yeah, okay, okay. We'll tweak the rules a bit. Within a few months is when Jonah Hex debuted. I did I did a quick look up. Uh, you mentioned 1971. That's also the year they had the Green Lantern, Green Arrow issue where uh, yeah. Speedy was doing drugs. Yeah, that came out after the uh, Spider-Man stuff. So, yeah, between those two things, it, it's like the Spider-Man thing made them reassess the code. And the Green the Green Lantern, Green, Ar- Green Arrow thing was probably taking advantage of them, finally relaxing the code a bit. But I just find it, I don't know if this coincidence or not, that after relaxing a code, we have somebody like Jonah Hex come out because you got to wonder sometimes if some of this stuff would have passed under the original code i don't think it would have no i don't think so so some of the violence in the later issues you know people getting pitchforked and axes to the head Mm -hmm. i don't think it would have flown well they're also very particular about respect for um respect for the police respect for authority sort of thing and jonah runs into a lot of corrupt people over the years Jonah doesn't always win as well, and that's something else. They're like, you know, good must triumph over evil. That doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. So you do got to wonder is if they had not relaxed that code, could you have gotten Jonah Hex the way we know it? I'm going to say no. I don't, I don't think they would have allowed this. And on that note, we'll move on to somebody that definitely pushed the envelope a bit. Beginning in 1974 with Weird Western Tales number 22, Michael Fleischer took what Albano and DiZaniga already established about Hex and ran with it. From his very first issue, Fleischer began to craft a backstory for Jonah that would definitely turn him into the well-rounded character we're all familiar with to this day. Sadly, the beginning of Fleischer's tenure also marked the end of Tony DiZaniga's, though he would return to the character many years later. And it's right after DiZaniga left, actually, that Darren first ran into the character. That would be Weird Western number 24, the Point uh, Pyrus Aftermath. That's actually yeah. the first, that's the very first one after uh, Jesus and Eagle left. Ah, so. it was a good point to come in. I mean, I don't know when I was reading it because it was in my childhood. I don't know where it came from. I think my dad might have brought it home, but I had a, a apple crate full of um, old comics. So mostly Disney but there were a few Marvel and DC things thrown in there, like some uh, uh, Man-Thing issues, and also just one issue of Jonah Heck, this particular one, and it just uh, stuck in my mind to reread it every so often. Just yeah. the quite lovely artwork with the, I mean, the colouring of it and the yeah. kind of quite dirty, grim kind of approach to life. Well, it certainly wasn't like the uh, Donald Duck comics or any of the <laughs> other superhero stuff, which is all kind of quite clean lines, looks very tidy. But this one just had a sort of a, a lived-in Old West. Everything's felt real when you looked at it. And so it just sort of dragged me in. And, you know, the, the cover with him standing above the pit, well, just one step further, Hex in the blindfold and then the storyline of him dealing with the fact that he's blindfolded and can't take his uh, blindfold off for another 10 days. Oh, and then he's being chased by some no good. And it's all, it all just sort of stuck in the mind. And the, um, the ending with the uh, actor who's helping him deciding to take one for Hex, which was uh, quite tragic, I guess, alluding to Shakespearean tragedy there as the actor does all the time. Now, for the re- for the record here, our artist picking up um, from uh, Dizaniga is uh, I'm never I've never been sure how to say this. Nali Panaligan, I think is how it would be. 
Mm, sounds right. It's yeah, that's that's my guess. But yeah, as far as a follow up to Dizaniga, yeah, he's got the same sort of uh, grit to it. It doesn't. I mean, you can't mistake one mm. for the other, but he's definitely following the same style. Yeah, um, there was there was a lot of overlap from a frame into the gutter. The action was pretty much bursting off the page with Dizaniga's and. Uh, Pan Allegan uh, did the exact same thing, so you kind of had the same feel throughout the books. Oh yeah, right here and, on this on the splash page where you get again you get the uh, the credits and everything. We got the Jonah rolled off a uh, porch screen. He's uh, cutting down a guy on the porch. Just bam, 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 and the guy is falling out of the panel and into the into the uh, credits box. Hmm. <laughs> At least his feet are. He's definitely lost his footing. He's step he's stepping on Joe Orlando's name. Yeah, but I, I was rereading the um, black and white showcase reprints. Like, oh, yeah. A couple of days, just sort of, and that, and that um, multiple frame kind of like for action, or you know, somebody takes a bullet and it's chop, 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 and thrown in, quite cinematic. It is beautiful stuff. Um, of course, another thing that's odd here is unlike when Jane, when uh, Dwayne jumped on. His was all self-contained, one uh, one and done thing. This is actually continuing off of Tony Dizinga's last issue, the one before. That's where he got blinded. So was there any uh, confusion for you there? Not knowing, like, don't know what happened to, uh, to Jonah. You don't know why he's got a blind, why he's been blinded or anything. No, no, I just I just jumped in. I mean, I had the, my random collection of comics. There was no like even chance of continuity, so I had lots of stories that were kind of in the middle of things so i just sort of read it and kind of went oh yeah he's he's on the porch and someone's shooting him okay and he's and he's and he's blind okay that was one of the uh first actually of the older ones i was able to get my hands on it came in like this weird sort of journal thing where these people cut up these comics and put them together as like little sketchbook notebook thingies oh man so yeah i definitely i know i had a lot of questions because i'm like oh wow i have no idea what's going on here but i mean the whole story, and I mean, even though it was kind of short and self-contained, it was a lot of fun to read, and so that was something that kind of drew me in. Okay, so here's a two-fold question. One, Darren, with you with you being down in New Zealand and all, how often were you getting uh, the the American comics down there? I mean, could you have gotten them? Could you get them on a monthly basis, or was it really just who knows what they're what you can what you can find? It, it was it was very hard. I mean, I don't know when the um, Jonah Hex were coming out, but yeah, this one was um, 1974, so yeah. I don't. Know I mean, when acquired it. Yeah, I would have been seven till about 12 years old, I'm guessing. So, lots of corner shops uh, called dairies down here in New Zealand had comics on spinner racks and different things so you could pick them up but i don't think you didn't have much chance of actually getting full runs or following things it was just sort of what gordon and gotch were the suppliers for a lot of magazines and comics in new zealand and they didn't really seem to have much focus on them as like a, a big money spinner they were just like oh yeah comics kids buy them we'll distribute them around Comic shops themselves were sort of like late, maybe mid eighties here with that's, some of the comic shops. That's about when they began the rise here in the in the states as well. Mm. Yeah, so it sounds mm. like you were probably in the same situation a lot of us were. It's like you go in a spinner rack and Lord knows what's going to be there, which is yeah. why a lot of them were only one and done back then. Because yeah, you mm. had no idea if you were ever going to find another one again. Yeah. Second question is since we know jo- since you knew Jonah had been blinded by an explosion in this uh, in this issue, did you think that's how he got his face messed up? I, I kind of registered the face, but never really kind of questioned at, at that time. It was just sort of, oh, okay, he's wounded. Wonder what's going on with that scar. But I don't think it's mentioned specifically in there, so I just probably just assumed it was part of whatever wounds he was dealing with. Oh, but although the the makeup work with the actor later on. He has to go a lot of effort to uh, double for that. Yeah, that definitely couldn't have been easy. <laughs> he looks like he put like a little pink when you go to the end where the makeup's, makeup's coming off and they're wiping it off. It's like, there's this little false eye that falls off. Looks like half a ping pong ball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I tried to pop that right in there. There you go. <laughs> but it wasn't until later, like when uh, I found a few catalogs for some of the local comic shops that had started up and scouring their back issue sort of lists and sort of, you know, buying a few things that were 50 cent each sort of bulk things that I was able to actually get a few more Jonah Hexes and start actually filling in a storyline or following him. In 1977, Jonah Hex graduated to his own self-titled book, courtesy of the DC Explosion, 
Over the course of 92 issues, Jonah gained new enemies like El Papagayo and the Grey Ghost and saw the return of old ones like Quentin Turnbull. Readers also learned more about his service during the Civil War and the origin of his facial scar, plus he spent a year married to Mei Ling, who gave him a son named Jason. Best of all, roughly half of those issues were illustrated by Jonah's returning co-creator, Tony DiZaniga. But all good things must come to an end, and in 1985, Jonah traded his Confederate coat for a biker leather as his title was rebooted into the singularly named Hex. Fleischer's valiant attempt to keep the Western hero relevant in a market dominated by superheroes. After 18 issues, Jonah Hex rode off into the sunset in 1987 to begin his first stint at retirement. And this is about where I jump in here, this little era. And I didn't know what I had at first, honestly. A little bit of backstory. Growing up, my dad worked for various toy companies. Started out with MPC, which is a uh, model company up here in Michigan. Basically, he had an engineering background from military and stuff, and so he he did drafting. He you know helped build models and stuff, and eventually MPC became part of General Mills. Yes, the cereal company, General Mills, bought MPC. It had a bunch, a few other toy and craft companies under an umbrella called Fun Dimensions, and that's what my dad was part of. He eventually became part of the marketing department. The marketing department would receive comp packages from DC Comics because they made DC paint-by-number kits and trains and things like that. And so around 84, 85, my dad started randomly bringing home comic books. And these weren't the first comics I'd ever seen. I had, like, uh, Richie Rich and uh, uh, Uncle Scrooge comics and things like that. But this was, like, my first big-time exposure to DC outside of, like, you know, uh, cartoons and, like, Batman TV show and things like that. And there was two random issues of Jonah Hex in here right at the very end of his self-titled run. They got uh, Jonah Hex number 88 and 91. And this is not when the stuff was really done in one anymore. Now things are more in the soap opera era where stuff could go on for issues and issues and issues and plot threads wove in and out and such. So I got these things and I didn't really know what the heck was going on at all. Add to the problem that I couldn't understand what Jonah Hex was saying half the time. <laughs> because I am, I was 11 when I got these things. D- didn't read and, to learn phonetically yet, huh? <laughs> no, no. I was like, t- I was like, the first one here is uh, dated December 84, and of course, you know what the, what the date is on the book is necessarily what came out. So I was probably 10 when I saw this, and 11 when I saw the other one, roughly. And yeah, I couldn't really understand what he was saying half the time. <laughs> it's like it looked really interesting, though. <laughs> <laughs> especially because um Dizaniga, he's a great artist but a lot of his women tend to look alike and so when you get like two or three blondes in a comic <laughs> yeah it's like it was hard it was mm. hard for me to distinguish who you know who was who and then the this is at the end of the uh, adrian sterling uh era as well when he when jonah was in new orleans and he had uh, taken up that thing with a high society gal. And after he left her, she decided to follow him. And then this is the beginning of the amnesia plot for Adrian Sterling. So now we have somebody who doesn't even know who she is. And I don't know who she is. And <laughs> But it looked really neat. <laughs> but yeah, that's this is, uh, yeah, actually, Jonah Hex number 88 is actually, again, uh, Dizaniga's last issue. Last issue for the uh, modern era. Because he came back around around issue uh, Jonah Hex number forty four or so, or I think there was one or one or two before that. So he had this nice solid run after that. And this is the very last one of that long second run. And that was another thing. It wasn't Dizaniga's art didn't look anything like I was seeing in the other books because you got all these shadows and it's very gritty and it was it didn't look good because you got in the Batman comics. <laughs> right. <laughs> it just looked completely very odd to me. And Jonah was just I didn't see it as a scar. I was just like, why is he so ugly? I didn't. I thought it was just the way Dizaniga drew. Mm-hmm. And then you get, and you go to Jonah Hex ninety one, and that is uh, Gray Morrow, who it, that's night and day to how Dizaniga draws. It's it's very bright, lots of clean lines. He liked to play with the duo tone and everything. And Jonah's scar is very very downplayed when uh, Gray Morrow draws it. And that's also the odd one where Jonah's going undercover at a uh, little ra- a rodeo near the end of the book, and he dresses up like a clown. So now you—that was just another odd thing for me. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> especially when they got in the later years. It just looking at like Jonah Hex dressed as a clown. <laughs> it's, just... it's like we're running out of story ideas. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of tell we're definitely near the end. It's like suddenly we have uh, Jonah in clown makeup and orange fright hair and a big red nose. (laughs) Oh, man. And also in the very, very back, if you go to the very end, there's actually an ad for um, uh, Hex for uh, for the future stuff that was coming up, which, again... I had no reference. I didn't know something was happening. I'm looking at this. I, I don't even realize this is Jonah Hex. That's the same guy. I thought it was like, um, okay, this stuff's in the past, so maybe this is like his grandson or something. Hmm. But yeah, 10, 10, 11 years old, I really did not get this. So I yep. went back to the other books I understood. I went back to Aftari Force and <laughs> things like that. Yeah, when I, when I first saw that ad, this was uh, when Crisis on Infinite Earths was on the stands. Yeah, yeah, I didn't and know about Crisis either. I didn't know what was going on. I was like a little schoolgirl. Uh, part of me was like so excited, and then part of me was really mm-hmm. angry that they were getting rid of the Western. But I, I figured his transport to what looked like modern times was going to be a result of the Crisis. Yeah, that's something we'll discuss in a later uh, in a later episode. Because yeah, I had I definitely have some theories about this, but yeah, although all these this big stuff, maybe like a foot tall stack of comics. That I that my dad had brought home by the ver- by the very end, and I still got the majority of them. A lot of a lot of my taste is in that stack, and I kept I kept them for you know I like I said I still have quite a few, and I kept these 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 two issues that I just mentioned. I still have the originals, even though I didn't understand what was going on. I still kept them because there was something there. There was something about them. It wasn't until five years later I went back to them. Because I started watching Clint Eastwood westerns and stuff like that when I was growing up, my parents would watch like The Virginian and Bonanza, and I knew what The Lone Ranger was. I'd watch that. I'd watch I watch old Zorro, the old Disney Zorro show, and everything. I didn't completely understand westerns until I got older, and that's when I started realizing this is actually a period in history. This isn't just you know playing around. And so I started reading up on that, and then I remembered I had these two books. Um, these two old Western books. So I looked at them again, and it's like, now things were clicking. Now I could understand all the dialogue. And so I went to the shop, and I went under Jay, and it's like, oh, here's a weird, I think it was like Weird Western Tales number 30. I got the Jonah Hex Spectacular on the first try. Uh, Nice. (laughs) It was like two bucks. (laughs) I got very, very lucky, and then it just kind of all snowballed from there. It's like, now I get it. Now just give me, give me it all, give me it all. But yeah, it's funny looking. It's funny looking back at these two and real. And so, it's something. Something. Something clicked. Some. You know. So, something was there. Didn't understand, but something was there. Like, yeah. You. You guys. I mean, again, you'd probably read quite a bit by the time you got to these ones. So, what were you thinking about with the uh, with the end of the era? I know, uh, Dwayne, you were just saying about you were kind of upset over the fact that these were ending in general. Yeah, I didn't keep up on comic book news. You know, I did have a pull list and. Uh, I think I had missed issue 91 and I was starting to freak out that I was going to miss the whole tail end of the storyline and not knowing where they were going with it. I was, I was somewhat conflicted. I really liked the character. I liked the book, but I'd rather see the character go on than not. And like I said, again, it, it was uh, crisis on infinite earths. I was excited to see Jonah get some exposure in there that he did. I mean, it, it, it had been interesting to follow Jonah this whole entire time and in this period, things, like you said, were getting very soap opera-ish. It's like every woman in the world fell in love with Jonah, and he was juggling them like a bunch of balls in the air. Yeah. Uh, you would end up with almost one page of a storyline, and then the next page is another storyline. And there were a few issues where Fleischer actually finished up a storyline in the middle of the book and then started another one. And this was kind of kind of groundbreaking for a western and i think it was even somewhat groundbreaking for stories in general at the time even though dc had continued stories i don't remember any superhero books wrapping up a storyline in the middle of a book and continuing on yeah that was the uh yeah the cassie wainwright stuff did that i remember and yeah that that was odd i don't i really don't know why he why that happened like that i don't know if it was just bad pacing on his part or uh, what but yeah, I'm just I'm flipping through number 88 again. There's like there's four storylines going on in this one book. <laughs> mm-hmm. But at, at least one thing, I mean, uh, you know, with the Cassie Wainwright stuff ending in the middle of the book, you didn't drop the book. I mean, you don't go, oh, okay, well that's okay. I'm not I'm not going to buy the next one. He throws you right into the next story, mm-hmm. which good or bad, that may have gotten you interested and you may have bought the next issue. So Fletcher seemed to be really on a roll here. 
And I think it was really interesting how he did keep the pacing up on some of them. At, at times, it did seem a little frantic. But uh, I got to give uh, got to tip my hat to the guy for being able to keep all that stuff going. So uh, I I really enjoyed it. At, at times, it was a little soap opery, but enough people got shot and stabbed. I stuck around. Yeah. yeah and then you get over to the, 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 the future stuff, the, the hex stuff, and it's it's such a gear shift. It's like a, one of the things that you have old interview in a comics journal uh, that uh, I know uh, Darren has up on the, up over in the corral. And he's saying about uh, that, he, you know, sometimes if it, if it was a choice between putting a character moment in and putting an action, he'd drop the action. So we had the character moment. And it's like he kind of forgot that idea when he went to the future stuff. It's just like, no, we're just going to action, 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 action. It's like every last page is going to be uh, is going to make you go, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> By that time, it was shifting the setting as, as an attempt to keep the book selling. I guess yeah. it would have been on his mind as like, well, okay, uh, if we're going to keep the readers and we're and it's marketed as you know in the future, he had to sort of get in there the action, the science fiction things. But I mean, as he said in most interviews, he didn't really think he had a very good feel for science fiction. So I guess action sort of substituted for in his mind for that yeah there's a few good ones in there when i was first starting after my my revelation of this is good go find more um one of the first the future hex stuff i found was issue nine i think it was the one with the lovely cover where it's like the bottom half of them is all wires and robot stuff which of course oh, is the cyborg complete, yes yes day of the day of the cyborg i think it is yeah and it's like, which is, of course, an absolute fib when you read the story. But damn, that's a great cover. Yes. <laughs> that's one of the few of, of those 18 issues in the future that I like. It's like there's like three that I like, and that's one of them. But as we said, that unfortunately hmm. didn't last long. And we had to go back and we had to go try something else. In the 1990s, Jonah Hex gained new life under the Vertigo imprints thanks to writer Joe R. Lansdale and artist Tim Truman. A trio of miniseries released from 1993 to 1999, wherein Jonah faced off against zombies, man-eating worms, and all manner of vengeful Western folk. While Lansdale's Vertigo work pushed the mature reader's envelope in both the art and dialogue, he also helped adapt the character for the 1995 Batman the Animated Series episode Showdown, resulting in children born after Jonah's original heyday getting introduced to the bounty hunter. Now, around this era is, I think it was around the tail end of it, is when uh, Darren, you start up the Jonah Hex Corral, and you start, there was actually a uh, group on Yahoo, which was, just happened to be named, Via Pony Express, which is where we, where this whole uh, thing comes from, in a way. Yeah, it's stolen from the letters column back in the 70s, 80s run, hosted by the mysterious Nellie Rook. Well, I don't think they ever so, nailed, nailed down who she actually was. All I know is her name was not actually Nellie Rook. Yeah. Some, some, somebody did uh, one of the um, one of the comics websites did like a question thing on it and investigated, it, and it was basically some editorial staff member who she wasn't really into comics. She didn't really have any career in comics after it, so she wasn't she wasn't fussed about her real name being used, and it wasn't really appropriate. Because it would just be a different name that nobody knew, but uh, it was her job to sort of handle sort of writing that editorial, that kind of content, even with the letters page. Yeah, she did a good job though. She would encourage mm. you know people to write in and talk about certain subjects and everything. She for not being into comics, she uh, she handled the uh, letters page well. It was one mm. of the best yeah. letter pages out there. Yeah, we salute her, you, Nelly. Yeah, between her and the Mad Maple, uh, I think uh, Hex had a really great letters page. Yeah. So, I so mean, and, but at, I mean, I got into comics quite seriously a bit before that with um, collecting uh, things like Justice League International and um, mm. Keith Giffen stuff and had been picking up the occasional sort of back issue here and there, mainly through some of the um, comic shops here that before the Internet, they had their printed catalogs of back issues and you could wheel through it and get a whole lot for 50 cents each. And so, you know, a huge mm. bundle of them would arrive. That's I think I've got most of the um, future hex ones that way and hanging around the comic shop and sort of saying, oh, there's going to be a new hex, a Vertigo hex. So, yep, put that on my subscription list. And so it kind of triggered me to start thinking, well, okay, what comics do I have? What don't I have? 
looking on the web and there wasn't a lot of information about you know all the different guest appearances so I just started a, a website with sort of listing that information so that I had it you know to refer to to sort of track things down and it just sort of slowly grew into sort of cataloging what was going on and back in the heyday when um, uh, private do-it-yourself websites was getting reasonable hits of numbers and visitors and things and weren't swamped in the uh, search engines by Wikipedia entries and uh, other things like that. So was uh, the the website came first and they decided to start up the uh, the Yahoo page? Was that how it worked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, seeing that up and, I, I, and uh, just sort of thought, oh, well, it's quite good to sort of swap the information. You know, I'd get a few emails from people asking questions. So, and I'd been looking at different bulletin boards and the old um, news groups back when the computers was first at work, where we could use their mainframe and get access to all those, you know, rec.arts.comics things. Mm. And, and so when uh, Google groups and you know, the mail groups came up, just sort of set one up. You know, scanned the uh, via Pony Express logo out of the back of the uh, letters column, stuck it up and go, right, let's see if anyone's interested. And <laughs> there were. I definitely appreciate you having the website up because uh, that definitely helped me uh, fill a lot of holes because before that it was just catch as catch can. It's like, okay, obviously Weird Western Tales, obviously Jonah Hex, obviously Hex. I had no idea about like the guest appearances and things like that. So that was nice. There was a mm. list. It's like, here's everything you need to find. Yep. Yeah, very comprehensive. Yeah, yeah, and it's good. It, mm -hmm. Like if you start with something that's sort of not quite comprehensive, other people email you and send extra bits of information. So it'll, you know, it it starts from you know a couple of people putting it together, and then you get other people feeding in. So and that was quite useful for me, not you know being down in uh, New Zealand and sometimes not being up on all the comics news. People knew there was somewhere to go. Oh, you don't have this one. You should know about this. Oh, great. I'll track that one down. Yeah, Corral was definitely a good name because you literally corralled all of it together. Yeah. <laughs> Six years after his last Vertigo miniseries hit the stands, writers Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti returned Jonah Hex to the DCU in his new self-titled monthly series. Jonah Hex, Volume 2, Number 1, cover dated January 2006, echoed its counterpart from two decades earlier in many ways, while also breaking new ground in terms of how the Bounty Hunter story was presented to readers. The mix of familiar tropes with fresh insight would define the title's 70-issue run as Gray and Palmiotti not only revisited classic moments and characters, but added new facets to Jonah's history like Tallulah Black, along with bringing in dozens of artists, both old and new, to help tell their tales, including three by Tony DiZaniga. The peak moment for this era would be 2010, a year that marked many landmarks and firsts for Hex, including his feature film debut. It's also one of the times we got a Jonah Hex cartoon, this one a little more serious than what we got on the Batman animated series and such, though, under uh, what DC would call the uh, showcase series. They were doing a lot of, in addition to the movies, they were doing a lot of animated movies at the time that they were including shorts on, and Jonah Hex managed to get one. And that's how uh, Arya apparently got into this, was seeing, was seeing this short. So you got a bit of a, a unique niche here, is you're one of those folks that got in not in the comics, I've run into this with a few other people where the first time they saw him was Batman the Animated Series or something like that. So, yeah. So what did did you get like the? Uh, it, it was on two different DVDs. It was on uh, Batman Under the Red Hood, and then there was another one that had all the shorts on it, which was a uh, Superman Shazam. Do you recall which one you'd picked up, or did you see it completely all by itself, Jonah Hex all by himself? Um. Well, let's see. I think I had my first run in. I think when I was about nine or ten. My family was watching uh, Under the Red Hood, I believe it was. They kind of rented it, I think, because we didn't own it up until recently when I watched it all the way through. Anyways, it was just it was kind of interesting to, to see it. I, my, my parents didn't exactly let me watch the short or watch the movie with them because they thought it was too gritty and inappropriate. And, you know, I mean, for that age at the A time, little. I think it kind of was, yeah. <laughs> um, so I kind of peeked through the curtain in the living room and kind of watched a little bit. I'm like, what is this? It's so weird. It's kind of cool, you know? But I mean, at that age, it was kind of like, it was almost bedtime and kind of forgot about it up until my family was watching Supernatural. And I was, I have a habit of looking up actors to see what else they're in. You know, I'm, I'm more of a movie person, planning on being a filmmaker, that sort of thing. So I looked him up. So the actor Jensen Ackles played uh, Jason Todd in the film. So I thought, you know, 
I haven't seen this in forever. Why not buy it? So that was maybe a year or two ago, probably, I think. And that's when I actually finally got to see it all the way through. So I'm definitely very new to the whole Jonah Hex thing. It's okay, because that means we can introduce you to all the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm slowly working on building up a collection, kind of scraping it together. I have this tiny little box, you know, just kind of slowly <laughs> filling it up as I go along. Uh, but, I mean, the the personality and the, you know, the design of the character definitely had me hooked after I finally was able to, you know, enjoy the short. And then I kind of started researching from there on. I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, no, duh. It's a DC comic film. It's probably from a DC comic. So... That's where I started with those. Did you have interest in Westerns before this? I really can't say that Westerns were my cup of tea, but then again, I wouldn't say no to a cup of coffee. So, I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm stealing Um, that. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, Westerns ranked above pirates for me, but I mean, fantasy and all that jazz at the time were kind of more what I was into. But, I mean, over time, I kind of expanded, you know my uh, range and limits of interests and kind of went on from there. Looks wise, the showcase sword is pretty, it's pretty different from what you normally get in the, uh, in the, uh, in the books and stuff, because they did this definite anime style. And frankly, I, I I rewatched the uh, short today. It's like Jonah almost looks, it almost looks like a skull on the one on his, uh, on his scarred side, the way they got all stretched back and everything. It's very, very exaggerated. (laughs) I can't imagine how he talks that easily. <laughs> well, from what we've seen of live-action actors, it's not easy. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> it's definitely a detriment. Something else that started up around the same time we uh, that uh, Palmiotti got and Gray started up their book was uh, Dwayne's uh, Matching Dragoons. You started mm-hmm. that up in uh, around 2006 or so. Uh, did you do that because the uh, the new series was, series was out? Or was it just like... It had been simmering for some time, and it was just like, here it is. It just happens to come out at the same time. Honestly, I can't remember what the impetus was. I had been blogging for a few years just on personal stuff, and I had been reading uh, different comics blogs. Uh, I found them interesting. Some folks you know, focused on a certain character. Uh, there was one lady I read pretty consistently. Her blog was called uh, Green Lantern's Butts Forever. <laughs> <laughs> I look in on that one from time to time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I thought, okay, well, that's kind of a niche. And I thought, well, what do I know better than anything else is Jonah Hex? And I just started posting stuff, basically cataloging what each issue, keeping track of what happened, and then every so often throwing in oddities that surfaced in my own collection. I'm happy to say it's still going. I've uh, posted twice in the past two weeks, so... The uh, rumors of the demise of Matching Dragoons has been over-exaggerated. It's back in the saddle and rolling once again. Yay! I mean, I envy, I envy your ability to remain, you know, consistent with posting those things. Because I know if I, I if I tried something like that, I'd probably falter off in, like, the first two posts and be like, okay, that was fun while it lasted. <laughs> well, the hammering out the, uh, the post itself doesn't take that long. It's the deciding what to scan and not scanning the whole darn book. Uh, right. So it usually takes about 90 minutes to do one. But uh, yeah, I've I've had a pretty good response over the years. And uh, I did have that spike that one year. Everybody in Louisiana seemed to be reading the blog. And I found out later who those people were. So yeah, you actually got to go on the, uh, the Joan Hex movie set because of those folks in Louisiana. Right. And that yeah. was uh, I got the email and I thought, yeah, right. This is some friends, you know, totally harassing me. <laughs> and uh I, I, you know, how do I know you're real? And, you know, the lady sent me some credentials and a couple of links. It's like, holy crap, this is Warner Brothers, and they do want me down there for some weird reason. So, <laughs> I was a bit, even though the movie didn't exactly turn out to be the best thing ever, I was a little jealous you got down there. <laughs> Just the fact you got onto the movie set. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. quite an experience. And, and I learned a lot about uh, journalism and actors, too. So, not yeah. all good, but I learned a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, for those for those that go to Matching Dragoons, you, yeah, you still have a lot of those uh, links up, at the, I believe, at the top of your page for the interviews, right. for your experience on set and stuff like that. And yeah, I remember a few of the, a few of those notes. It was a bit a bit odd, so how some of the journalists were acting. Huh? Yeah, not and, how the actors were acting, how the journalists were acting. 
Well, and just a rabbit trail real quick. I think uh, journalists as a group ask the same questions every time and actors have the same answers for everything. So you ask them something totally outside of what they're used to. You actually see the wheels turn in their head. This is about the time Susan decided to start writing some fan fiction. And she was writing on, uh, I think it was Weird Western Quarterly. Yeah. People yeah. had, uh, they would write all kinds of fan fiction and stuff. And some people would do cover work. And she came up with a thing called The Long Road Home. And it's basically yeah. how Jonah Hex got from the future, from 2050 or whatever it was, back to his present day. And it's probably one of the best explanations, I think, that could have come up, like someone could have come up with. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, that actually. That actually started before Weird Western uh, uh, Quarterly. Oh, it is It is now on, on the site. Um, I didn't even know what fan fiction was at the time. But I had read in Wizard magazine that the Jonah Hex stuff was coming. And it wasn't even much to read. It was just like a blurb saying about, we're working on this. And then nothing for months. And so I got really, really freaking excited because I was just about done with my collection by this point, my Jonah Hex collection, I was, so it was like, I'm almost out of stories. After I'm done buying all the stories, there's not going to be anything to read. So the idea that there was more coming kind of just made me go, ah, I'm going to have more. Oh, my God. And you but have I to get some, yours written before yeah. they explain it, right? Yeah. No, well, I, I figured there wasn't going to be an explanation, honestly. So, yeah, it got the wheels turning and realizing like they're not going to probably not going to bother to solve this question. It's probably going to be like they did with Vertigo, where they just kind of skipped it over and like, we're going to ignore this mm-hmm. and move on. And so I ended up getting just this flash of inspiration one day of how to make it work. And I started checking on things. And it's like, yeah, it works. This holds together. This holds together. I actually... Back in the day, DC actually used to have a message board that you could go on to. I know, I think with the DC Universe thing, they have something again. But they used to have something through their main site. And I actually went on there and wrote an open letter to Dan DiDio and said, I have an idea. I will give it to you for free if you print it. (laughs) Of course, there's no answer. (laughs) I didn't actually expect there to be an answer. But I, I put it out there anyways, just to be fair. And so, yeah, July of 2005, I started printing up, uh, posting uh, The Long Road Home on uh, fanfiction.net. You can still find it over there. And, yeah, that went over incre- in, uh, incredibly well with people. There, Some people have said, yeah, I consider this canon now, which is yeah. about the best, the best compliment I can get. And, yeah, due to that, uh, some guys who work at a site called DC2, uh, D- DC2 Universe, you can find it. They came, you know, I, I pitched it to them. I heard I heard about they were doing this thing, as as uh, Dwayne said, they kind of they kind of do their own issues and stuff. It's kind of building the DCU from the ground up, trying to eliminate the mistakes. And so I pitched it to them and they said, well, this is more later in the history. We're kind of starting at square one. I'm like, uh, could I write a Jonah Hex book? Uh, <laughs> and they said, sure. <laughs> and they actually I, somehow, for some reason, they agreed to it. And. I don't do it as often anymore, but I still I still write the stuff. I still go in and I write Jonah Hex stories. I've written Nighthawk. I've written Vigilante. I've written uh, Batlash stories. All, all sorts of little things. They're just like, okay, you can have this entire corner. You can have the entire 1800s. And if somebody wants to write in that era, they got to ask you first. Um, <laughs> seriously. Seriously. And I've, there's a few things where I've gone, nope, sorry, that's not going to work. You can do this instead. So that's, that's amusing. And I'll be honest, Jimmy, uh, Jimmy and Justin have actually read a little of it. Uh, some friends of mine have sent them stuff behind my back. Luckily, I already, luckily I'd already spoken with uh, Jimmy Palmati a few times before this happened, so I didn't look like a complete weirdo. Uh, <laughs> but, well, I, I urge folks to uh, to read it and hunt it down. I do have a link on Matching Dragoons, and it's 63,000 words well spent. Just as Crisis on Infinite Earths 26 years earlier had brought big changes to Jonah's world, so did DC's new 52 reboot in 2011, as he left behind his self-titled book to headline a new incarnation of All-Star Western. Now operating in 1880s Gotham, the bounty hunter both teamed up and fought against the ancestors of some of DC's best-known characters. 
Starting with issue 19, though, things took a turn as Hex ran a fall foul of time traveler Booster Gold, leading to a new trip to the future and a most unexpected change to Jonah's timeline as Graham Palmiotti wrapped up the title in 2014 with issue number 34. Now, around this time, actually, I think it'd be a couple months a couple months after All Star Western uh, number one hit, is when I decided that. Uh, Myself, I decided like the fan fiction was no longer enough. Again, I'd mentioned about the uh, DC message boards earlier. Not long before this, the second volume of Jonah Hex uh, wrapped up, a friend of mine uh, by the name of Michael Davis was posting little uh, compare and contrast reviews of uh, Jonah Hex on the board. With the, as like it started like around issue 65 when volume two, issue 65 came up. He did a little compare and contrast to volume one, number 65, and it kept going oh. and going from there. Mm. And it was kind of fun. We'd you know chit chat about this sort of thing. And as we realized what was about to happen with this shutting down and rebooting, I was thinking, well, maybe I could maybe I could take this over. And maybe maybe I'll do like all the first issues. I'll compare and contrast all the first issues. I should I should backtrack a little. A few beers before this, I started up uh, my own my own blog, One Fangirl's Opinion, partially because the novel that I was uh, working on, I knew I was going to need that for some publicity when that finally got out there, and also because the DC message board started started kind of screwing with Jonah Hex fans uh, for a while. They were shutting down threads. They were at one point the entire forum for Jonah Hex disappeared. Jimmy Palmiotti actually had to talk to the guys that ran the website and say, why did you shut down the board? And uh, he's, and they said, well, Jonah Hex doesn't have a book, so he doesn't need a board. And they're like, I'm writing the book. <laughs> why did you <laughs> shut down the board? <laughs> Someone that only looks at titles, obviously. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Uh, the Hex fans had a lot of fun with the DC message boards back in the day. So that was the second reason why I started up the blog. It's like if, D- if DC ever does this to us again, at least we'll have a point where we can kind of converge. And uh, yeah. none of, we won't all get lost. They're good at making comics, but they're not very good at sort of like supporting uh, uh the readers really it's kind of odd every so every so often they just sort of do things you think why would you do that i I, i've learned to stop questioning you know (laughs) i just i i find the stuff i like and i run with that and i just ignore the chaos around me but so yeah i had this blog i wasn't doing very very much with because my book my book was not out yet and so i started thinking well i'll just maybe i'll just do reviews of the first issues and i'm like you got all this information here. You have every single appearance. Seriously, every single appearance in a box. You've got all this backstory. You've talked to people here and there. You actually talked to Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray from time to time. Why don't you just go ahead and do the whole history? Just do the whole thing. Because, well, Darren, well, you, you you made, again, an incredible checklist of everything. And you, you've got uh, snippets up on yours. You've got uh, interviews and such like that. And... Dwayne, you've got um, a summary of of almost everything so far, and it's like I just hadn't found anything where you did where anything was done both at once. It's like here's the issue, and this is what was behind the issue. This is why this happened. That mm-hmm. sort of thing. So I decided, okay, I'll just do that, and that's how we got an illustrated history of Jonah Hex. Uh, <laughs> my goodness, I did not expect it to take this long. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> I'm still working on it. Well, it's got it's gotten a little deep. <laughs> and they'll just keep and they'll just keep adding like adding another series just about when you finish. I bet. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I was actually doing math the other day. I was I had written down. It's like okay, this is everything that's left, and I just wrote down the numbers. I'm like, okay, how do I break this up? Because I try not to go too long. When I when I do one of these entries, they're like five to ten pages long in uh, Microsoft Word. So. I was trying to figure out, okay, this well, this is quite a bit here. Okay, the movie's the movie's going to be a big chunk, so that kind of becomes its own thing. Blah blah blah. And I was realizing, yeah, once you get to the end of this, there's still the Walmart stuff to cover. There's now Ginny Hex to cover. There's Legends of Tomorrow now to cover. It's yeah, it's it's never going to end. It's like this is good thing, bad thing. It's never going to mm. end. <laughs> it's not unlike Fleischer's Encyclopedia of Comic Book Heroes, Volume One, Batman. So. Mm. That's that's where I yeah. see the parallel, you know, trying yeah. to catalog every single thing. Yeah, it's like, yeah, when, once you get up to 1974 or whatever, 1972, something like that, the early 70s, yeah, it's it stops because that's the book had to stop. The book had to become a thing. 
works works of art are works of art are not finished; they're abandoned. They say. So that's yeah, it's kind of what we've landed up in. And then of course, uh, we now have uh, Via Pony Express also on Facebook in uh, in uh, 2012. Again, that kind of came about for me uh, doing the again working on my book and everything, and I realized that well maybe I should get on Facebook and use that as a promotion thing. So we'll get we'll get that start working on that before the book comes out. So that way I got I figured out this Facebook. I did. I had not been on Facebook before 2012. No, uh, <laughs> I, try, I avoided it as long as humanly possible. And I remember I sent a note to you, uh, Darren. I said, did you ever think of doing uh, VPA over on Facebook? And I think like three days later, you had a page set up. (laughs) The need was there. It had to be done. Yeah, because the Yahoo group, I remember, started getting very, very quiet not too long before that, I think. It's like, you know, it did did very well. It definitely definitely served, uh, served for the many years it was up. But, yeah, it was starting to kind of trickle out probably because of things like Facebook and things like that. It was kind of mm. pulling people away. You're like, why? Why should I just have everything text only when I can have pictures? <laughs> mm. But yeah, that's been fun too. Uh, doing that because we yeah. definitely reached uh, reached quite a few people doing that. And the uh, and it's a little bit more immediate than it seems to be a little bit more immediate than the uh, mailing list was in that it's getting mm. you know people are sort of finding it, posting news fairly quickly, and having the discussions on things. I guess it's just like, you know, Facebook, it's something most, if people are into it, they're checking it, you know, in the morning, seeing what's going on. And so there's lots of eyes and lots of people sort of there to sort of engage with what's going on and uh, react to things. Yeah, it's nice to see when people get excited when we put certain things up and they're just like, ah, you know, It's it's nice to get people excited. But yeah, and then of course the Facebook stuff ended up leading to this as well so now we can reach now we can reach out right into your little ear bones and fill you in on things mm. there's a hammer stir up an anvil right there just yeah. right in, right in the air right in the air <laughs> <laughs> but i hope i hope this goes well too because um, yeah we got a there's a lot a lot of stuff we can cover with this so how'd you get inspired to do the podcast to, to round up us other three I had found a very bad influence came to me. <laughs> <laughs> Again, with doing the uh, illustrated history of Jonah Hex, in addition to having it on my uh, on my blog, I've I've uh, posted other versions of it uh, elsewhere. There's a uh, online uh, fanzine called DC in the '80s. The gentleman that runs that, uh, Justin Francoeur, got a hold of me and he's like, "I like I like your stuff. Would you like to work with us on some things?" So I offered him. Um, that because around that same time is when uh, Legends of Tomorrow started up and Jonathan Sheck started on that as Jonah Hex. So he said, why don't we do a, a thing over on uh, the website with the, you know, teaching people Jonah Hex. So I took, uh, since it's DC in the 80s, I basically took the 1980s Jonah Hex entries for the History Project and changed it up a bit, you know, snipped it a bit and we, we put that up there. And then... Uh, possibly because I mentioned Jonathan Sheck at the beginning intro of all those of the things we put on DC in the 80s, because I was saying about Jonathan Sheck's going to be on Legends tomorrow, starting this date, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Apparently that led to the search engine uh, directing Jonathan Sheck himself to the entries. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he contacted me to say that he really, really liked the stuff. <laughs> mm. And you don't know how weird it is to have basically Jonah Hex himself sending you stuff. Sending you pictures from the set, Jonah Hex selfies. That's really, <laughs> it's really is my my life has become very surreal. Uh, but yeah, he basically kept encouraging me to you know keep on with the work and uh, expand on it. So that's what led to me contacting all you guys about you know you ever done a podcast? Do you guys have any experience with that? Uh, <laughs> and all the experience is showing through with every second mm. of this. Yeah. So. <laughs> I've guested on a couple of podcasts over the years for the book, which I keep saying about getting the book out there. It did eventually get out there in uh, in uh, 2016, Swords and Six Guns Outlaws, Tale by Susan Hillwig. Yes, you can buy it on Amazon. But actually putting one together myself, yeah, I was a little intimidated. So luckily, I'm glad you guys decided to join me for this ride <laughs> and that you yeah. know a little more about it than I did. <laughs> we will join the podcast posse. We'll give it a go. We'll see how see how long we can whip these horses before they die under us. Yeah. You always have such a positive outlook. 
Well, we hope there's some folks out there. Yeah, if you're listening, let us know. Send us a message, join the Facebook page, share it around. Yes, please, please. Let us know that we're actually uh, reaching some folks. And if you got questions, go ahead and fire them off to us. And on that note, I think that'll about do it here for our debut episode of Jonah Hex via Pony Express. Well, we hope you enjoyed it. Rest assured, we are hard at work on the next episode. We were already putting stuff together. In the meantime, yes, please help us spread the word about our little podcast. Make sure you join the posse over at facebook.com slash via Pony Express. We put up little bits of information every week. We go to uh, Dwayne's Matching Dragoons for uh, some, uh, some of our information. We put up uh, flashbacks every Friday. We, we put up art. We put up any new news we have. There's always something going on and we'll definitely let you know when the, when the next when the next one of these is ready to come out and where you can uh, find us elsewhere on the webs you can go to Dwayne's Matching Dragoon blog over at jonahex.blogspot.com uh, to check out Darren's Jonah Hex Corral go over to lonely.geek.nz slash hex you can keep up with Ari, Aria over on at Aria Kidden K-I-D-D-I-N on Twitter and Embergeist on Tumblr. And for the latest installments of an illustrated history of Jonah Hex, they're available over on my blog, susanhillwig.blogspot.com. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions about the podcast, you can uh, put them up over on the Facebook page, or you can send them to me personally at swordsandsixgunsnovel at gmail.com. Just before we sign off really quick, just to let you know if you want to run into me in person, I'm actually doing a con in Port Huron, Michigan on March 30th and 31st, Blue Water Con. You can go over to Fantastic Con's website to uh, get more information about that, or you can go over to my uh, Facebook page at facebook.com slash swordsandsixguns for more on that. All characters mentioned in this podcast are copyright their respective companies and creators. We are not putting any claims on Jonah Hex. We're just crazy little fans here. And trying to help them sell books. And trying to help him sell some books, yes. So for half on all of us here at Jonah Hex via Pony Express, thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all out on the trail. Adios. interested to know that the theme music in used in this episode is the song Driving to Delta by Lobo Loco off the 2018 album Welcome. Thanks to actor Jonathan Skysh for his cameo recording of the Jonah Hex tagline. What would we even cover for sports? Like, uh, I don't know, like like the the gauntlet issue where all the Indians beat the crap out of Jonah, maybe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no rodeos. I don't remember a rodeo. There is actually, and one of the ones we're talking about actually has a rodeo in it. Um, Jonah Hex number ninety one. That's actually that's actually partially got rodeo stuff in it. Okay, that's yeah. the one with the with the girl and the uh, two clowns dressed up as Laurel and Hardy. Yes, yeah, yeah, and Jonah as Mister Happy the. The ugliest clown ever. <laughs> yeah.